Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we talk about the economy. What to do now. (laughs) (laughs) We had some fun in the pre-show talking about this. The coming collapse. No. (laughs) No. No. This yeah, I've been through this three times. Yeah. Anyway, um the I think both of us have had folks in our Slack rooms or various communities uh, that sort of been like watching the news, watching the market, wondering if, you know, how it it might affect their business and so forth. And I answered a few specific questions about, you know, in uh, for folks in my private coaching about like how to prepare if uh, budgets tighten up or whatever. And it's pretty... It, it, it occurred to me as we were kind of talking about it before the show that it's all the same stuff I would recommend someone do in any normal cash flow crunch situation that's that, that could be for any reason. You know, it could be that mm-hmm. you lost your whale client unexpectedly and all of a sudden you're at loose ends. And but the the kind of almost advantage of news about a recession or whatever uh, is that you've got months potentially to plan for it in and anything that you did to plan for it would be good for your business anyway it's like all good stuff to do at any time so now it's kind of like kind of like oh you get a a reminder that you should be doing this stuff anyway well as long as what you do doesn't come from a deep fear basis right because then that makes me think about people who aren't going to invest in their business because they're worried right like yeah, for sure. So, so anything, anything that I would, pretty much anything I would recommend in general for someone I was working with is still true. But you just have this like nice reminder to do it, or maybe even an extra yes. incentive to do it. And and potentially, if it's in advance of any potential cash flow issue, then you won't have the fear as much as you would if your income completely dried up in one month and you were like, now what do I do? So because that's that's yeah. maximum fear scenario. Well, we were having that conversation in 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a lot of people, the spigot just turned off like immediately. It was, yeah. you know, and this is different. Right. Right. It's different. It's like it's just a gentle reminder, the impermanence of client relationships. So, OK, so let's I think let's go over the obvious stuff first. So in a situation where budgets dry up you know, a little or a lot, uh, the problem you're going to end up with is a cash flow problem. So it's, it's all a question of like, can I get through the monthly business and personal expenses that I need to, you know, cause there might be, there might be a giant pot of money at the, you know, when things come back around, but you need to get there. Like you need to be able to, to get through any dip without it being, you know, the, the plane can, lose some altitude, but not go to zero altitude. So you just have to make sure the plane is above zero altitude. And so the obvious stuff is all this, the obvious stuff. It's like, you know, cut non-essential expenses. Do you really need whatever? Do you really need that expensive SAS or all those expensive SASs? Do you really, have you even been using type form or whatever? Um, do you need whatever, you know, you just look at your expenses and be like, I don't really need this. Um, another one would be if you were, this is a little bit more in your department, I think, but if, um, but if you were carrying a lot of expensive debt that you could pay down, uh, then that would 
probably a sensible thing to do. That's sort of outside of my realm of experience. But, um, you know, borrowing well, I, money. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't call that my expertise, but what I would say is this, it's it's math, right? Interest mm-hmm. rates are going up, so if you have a floating interest rate, i.e. credit card debt, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things, you want to get those out of the way as quickly as you can while still preserving enough cash to run your life and your business. Right. I mean, it's great to have, you know, zero to owe zero, but not if you can't put food on your table. <laughs> yes. Um, but so that's, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like that stuff's kind of obvious. That's stuff we talked about in 2020. Um, but that's, I think the stuff that's more applicable to expertise based businesses, um, the big one for me is like, is diversify income streams. So, which is something you should probably, you know, there's a point where you could over diversify, but I don't think many people do that. Uh, but I think having lots of different kinds of income from different types of buyers, different parts of the market makes a lot of sense. So you could, you could look at that in lots of different ways. Like in one sense, you could say, um, you know, like if all of your clients were in the airline industry in 2020, that was probably pretty scary. Uh, I don't know (laughs) if it worked out to actually be scary because they seem to have done okay. But the, but you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're over-invested in a particular industry, that, that could be bad. Um, I remember in 2008 when, I had I had a bunch of different clients. I had one that served the trucking industry and they got hammered immediately. Like their their mm-hmm. income went to like cut in half in a month. Um, wow. Yeah, real real rough. Uh, I had another client who I didn't work with. I hadn't been working with in 2020, but they they had they were 100% invested in the cruise industry. So that could not have been Ouch. Good. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one kind of diversification could be that you serve clients across lots of different verticals. Uh, from a positioning standpoint, I wouldn't necessarily usually recommend that, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly in a in a time when some industries are getting pummeled and others aren't, you don't want to be in the industry that's getting pummeled. So, if you've been thinking of let's say let's say you've been focused on uh, managing part, you know, selling to CPA firms, managing partners at CPA firms, and and you wanted to start, uh, I don't know, sort of going a little bit adjacent to that, maybe to other professionals like lawyers or someone else in different kind of finance, like yeah, financial uh, advisors. Yeah, financial advisors or fintechs or or um, accounting technology vendors. So there could be something you know, a, sort of similar enough that it's not really a pivot. You're just blurring your folk, your target market a little bit to get into an industry that has a different kind of business model that may or may not get affected by the same kind of market forces. Um, so that's one kind of diversification, but there's also product and service diversification where, you know, you've got maybe just do high ticket consulting or um, your main thing is like like speaking gigs and, and writing books and consulting. Uh, maybe now's the time to release that product, you know, something that's maybe mm-hmm. down market price wise that is, uh, still based on your expertise, but maybe sold to your peers or instead of to your your target market. Who knows? It could be it could be for your target market. It could be for someone lower down in the organization of the uh, of the business or a smaller type of business in your current sweet spot vertical. But now would be potentially. I think it's always a good time to be thinking about creating new products. But uh, but this would be a really good time. You know, like a time to start doing it because you've got some lead time. 
Well, and I think part of this is the strategic part of this is to really think about your client base and start to imagine what might happen to your client base in the future and what's happening now. So an example would be um, there are some tech companies that have changed their model. It used to be like Uber and Lyft. It's all about getting customers, even though you're losing money. Now it's about getting not losing money. And mm-hmm. so their prices have gone way up. So you, I think it really helps. And, and you know, we're all consultants here, right? That's what we do for a living is to really think about your client, like that company, that organization, what's going to change, what might change, and then start to think about how that will impact the work that you do. And when you think about it that way, I, I think it's easier to think about all those points on the product service ladder. Like, so, okay, so I have the, the $100,000 option and I have maybe a $20 option that's like a book, but I don't have anything in between. Right. What will that market be looking for? What would they buy? And then how does that map to my strengths and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the expertise that I can bring to bear and the outcomes I can deliver? Right. Yeah. So it's like the if you're experiencing any kind of like trepidation or nerves around the economy right now, well, guess what? Your clients probably are, too. So you could get in front of that and say, how could my expertise be beneficial to my existing client base in a way that is that speaks to their current fear? Maybe maybe there isn't. Yes. But maybe there is. No, but that's that's a really great point, because our clients may have more fear than we do because we have multiple clients, right? If one goes away, hopefully, if one Mm -hmm. goes away, there are others. If you have a job, a job job, and it goes away in the midst of a recession, that's probably going to be hard to find another one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so our clients have that, that some of that fear. Right. So it could be, it could be that you, you package up your expertise for existing clients or past clients and uh, I don't know, put together a presentation or a webinar and do like a maybe a teleconference or something and say, hey, I'm reaching out to all my past clients. Um, if, if you're concerned about, you know, the market and the news, the economy, uh, put together, uh, I don't know, a, a five step framework for thinking about how businesses like yours can, ex- you know, not just survive, but thrive in a situation like this, kind of like what we're doing now a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, you put it together, reach back out to past clients and existing clients proactively, you know, the way mm-hmm. that I wish, the way that I wish my landscaper and my CPA and my lawyer <laughs> and my doctor, I wish they would all proactively reach out to me when stuff is in the news that might be affecting my mindset, right? Like my doctor yes. never reached out to me during COVID, never spontaneously reached out. My CPA never reached out to me about, uh, about any of this news in the market, you know, she, <sighs> Like, like how come, you know, and so I I think that's huge. They're leaving so much money on the table, you know? Yeah. Well, sort of like the doctor model is sort of, they they never do outbound calls. It's like, it's not part of their DNA, but you would think your accountant in any accountant in the midst of this kind of stuff with, with COVID and all of the upheaval, you think Mm -hmm. they would have checked in. Right. (laughs) Well, I have a concierge doctor. So like I have one of those concierge doctors that I would have expected to, to yeah, be a little bit a more. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And eventually. Yeah, that is the model. Out, right. Eventually they did send out like a form letter type of thing that was that was our, like old new. It was g- generic to all the patients. I was like, oh, that was that was a missed opportunity. Um, it was in legal review. Probably. 
I bet you anything. That's why it was so well, late and so bad at the end. It was right. bland and tasteless. Yeah, bland, exactly. It was like, yeah. this is just stuff I've been getting from the news every day for six months. Um, anyway, so the point being, the point being, you would probably love it if your your service providers proactively reached out to you and made suggestions or just asked how it was going or where your mind was at. Um, so doing that for your current and past clients is a, a opportunity to really differentiate, differentiate yourself, add value, potentially scare up some new work with old clients, um, especially in combination with some new offering. So if you did create some new mm -hmm. offering and you reached out to them and say, Hey, I'm doing this free webinar for past, you know, for existing and past clients, how to think about this situation through the lens of my expertise. And I think it might be beneficial to you. You sign up, you get feedback. If you know, have maybe have a conversation. Jesus, there a way we could work together. Oh, I've got this new thing. It's only ten grand instead of a hundred grand like last time. That kind of you know that kind yeah. of right. And even if you yeah. didn't put together a presentation like that, it was it's a great time to do what you should be doing all the time anyway, which is sort of nurturing your network, your base. Yeah, yeah. your your inner circle. Your the whole the whole shebang like now's not the time to be heads down doing client work 40 hours a week well and i think the flip side is it is a good time to invest in new products i, I also think that there sometimes needs to be a little air between when you're checking in on clients to see how they're doing with this and then you offer a new product you know, oh, yeah, yeah. they have to feel like your call or, or your email, your contact is genuine. It's not just, hey, Joe, let me sell you another product. But <laughs> yeah, how's it going? What does that look like? And when you do that, you get some great input and it may really help you to design whatever you're doing next. And then you can go back to them and say, man, that that conversation was so helpful. So I could understand you know, what you're doing now. Um, I've developed this or would this be uh, of help to you? And, mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got the, you've got the air to be able to do that. Yeah. That, that's the approach I would take too. I like that. Yeah. In fact, that's the order to do it. It's almost like a, it's almost mm -hmm. like a little, not a listening tour, but we talked about recently getting that feedback from people in your market and being like, and, and acting on it. You know, it's like, oh, this is what they, this is what they want and I can deliver that. Exactly. And it also gives you probably um, some grist for the mill in terms of your writing and speaking, because if if your client base is all saying kind of the same thing, you're getting mm -hmm. some themes to write about and speak about and, you know, do more with. It's not just about services and products. It's also you can use that information to become more of an expert to build authority. Mm. So, so that just gave me a thought. I, I've never meaningfully done any pr efforts it seems like if you were creating really topical information from your area of expertise on a big news item that that would be the perfect time to to just sort of get your name in the press is that yeah yeah. yeah, it's, you know, ideally you already have a media list, which is really small. I'm not talking about 50 companies. And I'm not even talking about 10. It might be three to five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these days you can reach pretty much anybody in media via Twitter. So if you don't already have a relationship, you can get yourself in front of them. And, you know, they're looking for content. They are absolutely looking for content all the time. If it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So if you can tie your expertise to what's happening, and it doesn't have to be uh, sort of the big media that we think about. It might be industry media. 
Um, mm. Something very specific might not even be a huge readership, but it's your people. Right. So it's full of your kinds of ideal clients and buyers. Right. It could be a trade association. It could be a membership community, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where you know the, the founder. Um, it could be, I've had, I've got students who are publishing stuff on these sort of, like accountants have to get, I don't know what it stands for, like CPE credits every year to maintain yeah. their certification. And, and, you know, they put courses in the CPE thing and they're paid, but it's still, it's almost like a, it's kind of like a marketing thing. Um, what else? I mean, there, there are the obvious ones like, you know, uh, I guess they call them magazines on Medium or just like niche publications for your people. It doesn't need to be the New York Times or like, you know, the FT or whatever. It can, but if, if it's your people, like you said, if it's yeah. your people, like that's amazing. It's way more valuable. I mean, the New York Times is nice because you can splash the logo on your website, but right. really what's going to move the needle for your business is typically um, going to be a slice that is where it's very visible to your people and, you know, maybe invisible to those who aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So way, way, way at the top of the funnel where you're trying to turn strangers into curious onlookers or, you know, and then hopefully get them on a mailing list or some kind of some way that you can communicate with them directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's, I mean, all this stuff is good to be doing all the time, but I guess these are the things that like the, the sort of news jacking thing, which is, <laughs> is kind of what we're talking about here is, uh, when, the, when there is a, um, kind of like an event that focuses everyone's attention or captures everyone's attention. Or when I say everyone, I mean like, you know, just like a lot of people, then those folks who are hungry for content, like you said, they're, they're going to be. Uh, a lot easier to probably reach and convince or or get an acceptance like hey what if i did a blog post about this or guest post or um, if you're looking for quotes on this subject i've got some thoughts here are three things that are sort of sound bitey yeah i've, I've like i said yeah. i've never really done i've done a teeny bit of that but not much yeah i mean you just think okay um potential recession, what are the topics? Like right now, um, CPAs, it's a great time for CPAs to be um, in the media talking about, well, what do you do? What do I worry about? Financial advisors, great time. Should I buy? Should I sell? Should I hold on? Should I buy the dip? You know, all those mm -hmm. things. I mean, those are just the logical ones, but um, there are other uh, there are other professions that impact the economy. Um, lawyers, a, a particular kind of lawyer might be able to speak to what's happening with M&A work in the economy. Um, a mm, yeah, venture capitalist definitely. might talk about you know, what's happening in the market and is there a change in what they're looking for from their portfolio companies, you know, all those kinds of things. There, there's a way, you just have to really think about it and in a way that's outside of yourself. In other words, you have to think about the audience for that publication and what they might be interested in. Yes. And when you do that, even if you just brainstorm for 15, 20 minutes, you'll come up with some ideas. Right. Yeah. I think that the key here is like, is like um, resisting the urge to go into your shell and like batten down the hatches and yes. instead become even more open than normal and more... I guess, generous than normal uh, and, and do all this outreach. It's like, hey, you need content or, hey, past clients, you're terrified right now or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And use that as like, uh, 
as ESP, like you know what these people are probably, or there's a high probability that you know that people are experiencing a particular uh, tension, hunger, fear, itch, or maybe they see it, maybe your people see a massive opportunity right now and they're not sure how to capitalize on it because they are, you know, anti-fragile and thrive in down markets. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. So like if through the lens of your expertise, if you can come up with, inter- you know, whatever, uh, a framework for thinking about things or mindset or uh, a 10 step thing to go through or whatever, it's, you know, create some intellectual yeah. property around it. Uh, maybe a product, maybe not, but yeah, there's like the fact that a lot of people are thinking about the same thing or feeling the same way is an opportunity for you to have a bigger impact. Well, and it may be an opportunity for you to bring those people together, you know, cause we're talking about kind of one-to-one where you're reaching out, but maybe you start a group now of people and it starts on that and then becomes something else. That's it's, a very good idea. There's value in connecting people. This is, you know, when things like this happen, it triggers kind of emotional responses from people and there will be people who hunker down, but mm-hmm. you know, we serve our audience, we serve our clients, we serve our buyers. And so I believe that the people who, you know, win in quotes in these kinds of situations are the ones that step out front and try to help their ideal client and buyer in whatever way they can to get through whatever's coming or Mm -hmm. whatever your, your, your audience is experiencing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The, the proactiveness at a time when a lot of people are going to be reactive is a huge differentiator it's it's a big deal you know it's like the plane is experiencing turbulence <laughs> and people are just gonna like white knuckle on the <laughs> on the seat belt on the arms of the chair or whatever and uh and and you're the person that's like walking through the aisle handing out white wine you know yeah. it's, it's, it's they remember okay. you at right. the end of the flight and they're like oh thank you so much and they look right. to you if you notice that have you ever been on a plane where this sudden turbulence Everybody looks at the flight attendants. Totally. You can't see the pilots, but everybody looks at them. They're actually trained to keep a blank, non-committal face when that happens. It's part of the flight attendant training. So yeah. 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 Think of yourself that way. It's it's thinking of yourself as a leader, really. Yeah. It totally is. Right. You yeah. have an effect on you can you can have a calming effect on other people's emotions. And it and not just and and this is non-trivial because because having Making business decisions from a place of fear is really bad. It has long-term <sighs> impact. So, and that's true for your clients, but it's also true for you. So, if you get into if you get into a whatever the reason, if you get into a cash flow crunch, you haven't been getting a lot of leads. Whale client leaves, uh, and and you haven't got a lot of runway or or no runway, or even if you do have runway, but you just you just can't you just you can't imagine. Uh, digging into it, you know, your, into your savings, that would be like a defeat, mm. feel like a defeat. Then you start to make, you start to have all these crazy ideas. Maybe I should just get a job, you know, yes. or, or some, you've got this one horrible client that you've been avoiding, you know, ex past client that you've been avoiding for years, but is always happy to throw money your way, but they just torment you the entire time. Like, oh, maybe oh. I should reach out to them. No. Or, right. Or just some new client comes along. It's the first time you've had a lead in a while. Uh, you're desperate for the cash for whatever reason, and you just it just blind. It's not even like you're ignoring them. You just blind to the red flags, and yeah. you end up. So then, so you get this client who's going to be 
probably a real bad fit for you. Maybe it's outside of your expertise or they see you as a pair of hands or whatever the reason is, or they're super demanding or they're just a yeller or whatever it is. And <laughs> right. And then, but you're yeah. like, but I need the money. I need the money. It's almost mm -hmm. subconscious. So you don't, you ignore the red flags. You don't see them. You just go zooming right past them. And then it's time to write the proposal and you totally blow the the why conversation you have no sense of the value you lowball it because you're afraid you're not going to get mm -hmm. the gig and now you end up with a year of work that's extremely low profit so the opportunity cost there is that if you had stuck to your guns it would have been high profit or they would have walked away and you'd have the opportunity to you know attract a better client that would be more profitable but now you're stuck in this bad low profit gig with a, mm -hmm. a red flag client and now you can't be, now you're super busy. You're not going to be fielding a lot of sales calls. You're not going to be doing a lot of marketing. You're not going to, you're going to miss out on all that potential opportunity that you, you could have had a high profit year, uh, but you had a low profit one instead because, you know, bird in hand, uh, even though you knew it was, I don't know, what's a, what's a poisonous bird? I can't think of a poisonous bird, <laughs> even though you <laughs> no. knew it was a bad bird. So, right. So then, so, so. Well, and you're also resentful. Because like, you do that in your, like, when you're in that mindset where you're, you know, selling and accepting out of fear, there's that momentary relief. Oh, thank God I have this money coming in. That lasts a nanosecond. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to start feeling resentful. I can't believe I'm doing this for this price or God, yeah. I can't stand this guy. And, you right. know, it, yeah, it's not, it's not good. And the thing is, I've seen this happen when people actually have a good sized nest egg, but it was what you mentioned earlier. There's this mindset that, well, I can't touch that. That's my nest egg. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you want to have emergency cash that you view as emergency cash that's usable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's one thing to like literally be in that position where you don't know where your next dollar is coming from and you're scared to death. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it happens to everybody at some point, usually early on. Um, it's another to have it there and not allow your mindset to tap into it and then make decisions from this feeling of poverty that isn't real. Right. I mean, it's real to you, but it's, it doesn't, you're not actually poor. You mm -hmm. actually have resources that you could tap into that would allow you to wait a month or two months or three months to find the right client and the right next step or create right. a new product or service for somebody else. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd recommend the thing I'm about to say, but I've heard, I've heard air quotes experts. I don't know. Um, but I've heard people say this it, generally in the context of, um, companies that have payroll like a, a fair number of employees where in a situation like this now would be a time to secure a low interest business loan that you don't actually need yet uh, and sort of sit on it so that if you do get in a cash flow crunch then you'd have some option other than firing people or taking on a really bad client um, you know if you get the loan before interest rates go up I suppose you know I, I've never done this I don't know if I would do that uh but I keep having Mike Michalowicz's head or his voice in my head saying no, you know, and, you know, I think it depends on your business model. But usually if you've got a lot of employees, there are not all A plus employees. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a wake up call to do something about the business model. That's so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I wouldn't blithely do it. I, I could picture scenarios where that could make sense. 
Mm-hmm. You know, especially if your 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 client base is hit for a very specific reason and you can see the end to it. But boy, I'll tell you, when I had a company with employees, I, that would have scared the crap out of me. I don't know yeah. if I would have done that. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I have heard other, you know, even for a soloist business, like having, again, I don't, I'd rather have you have savings, but, you know, securing a line of credit or something, because that, the interest that you're going to pay on that, if it's a fixed amount, you know, and it's not floating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm in dangerous territory here because this is like stuff I, this is stuff I've heard other people say. This is not something I've done. But I would rather, faced with taking on uh, a, like a horrible client, I'd rather have credit. <laughs> I'd rather have credit yeah. than take on a bad client. Yeah. Well, and it's, we've, I think we've talked about this on the show. I know we've talked about it in some pre-shows, but it's one of the challenges when you have a model that has employees is that you have to keep them busy. And right. and so that means you got to say yes to a certain number or percentage of people that are coming through the door. And that's it, always, it's a gut check. Yeah, mm. I know this client's going to be really difficult, but I've got, you know, four employees and I have this payroll and they're not busy. I, I've got to take it. So it's a different kind of a pressure, mm. I think, in that scenario than, than most soloists experience. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been there. Even just as the VP of a firm, it was like sleepless nights for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. We worry more about other people than ourselves usually. Right. When you have employees, you spend a lot of time being concerned about you know how they're doing, the work they're doing. Are they happy? Are they being paid enough? Do they want more money? Can you afford it? It's all those, right. all those things. Yeah. yeah. That's it's why like, I'm a confirmed soloist now. Right. It's like, yeah, one mortgage is enough for me to worry about. I don't need 10. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what what else have we got? Is there? I mean, we've talked about at least six different things. I don't know if we hammered on the mindset thing enough. The the sort of like the sort of like even if you're not taking on a red flag client, just just chickening out on your pricing because oh, yeah. you know what I mean. You just like every, yeah. everybody's scared. You know, you're sort of projecting your own fear into the universe, and you might be right, but that doesn't mean the value's not there. So you know, it's it's a it's a judgment well, there's a call. Psycho- there's a psychology going on in the marketplace. I'm going to use marketplace like big capital M, right? The mm-hmm. global marketplace. And at least in the US, the psychology is, okay, stocks are down. Stocks are down. This is in bear territory. And if you get any kind of stuff on investments, they're just talking about how horrible it is, trying to convince you not to sell. So the problem is we're getting like, Uh, fire hose blasts of negative information but we get to choose what we do with that Mm -hmm. and so that's where I think mindset is so important and it's really really critical not to let the headlines dictate what you do newspapers I'm going to use that old-fashioned word newspapers Mm -hmm. they want headlines that make you feel something mad sad scared that's the goal and yeah. so you really have to be able to look at it and not take it all in and look at it carefully as unemotionally as you can and I, I get that money is emotional but so that you can really think about what the impact might be and you can start to think about well what's the best case what's the worst case how will I handle myself in the best case? How will I handle myself in the worst case? Um, can I afford to try this new thing? Oh, well, yeah, there's some money there if this doesn't work. Or no, I really need to have 
have food on the table this week. No, I don't think I can make that investment or I think I need to stop this service. So I think that's, it's really important to manage your own mindset versus letting the media do it for you. Yeah, that is tough to overemphasize because like you said, they're in the business of outrage or fear. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I don't know, this is just me, but like I, I, of anybody I know, I've got, I'm on the most limited news diet of anybody I know. Like (laughs) I, I just don't, if I don't hear about it from someone else, I don't hear about it. You know what I mean? Like I don't watch I I'm, like haven't even been watching Colbert and stuff like that, where you would sort of get mm-hmm. current events, like nothing, you know? So if you, I, I think you're playing on hard mode if you're checking the news multiple times a day, That that's just making things worse on yourself. Um, the, you know, and see our previous conversations about, about, you know, exposure to ideas and uh, whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, so one approach I think is to just not be constantly doom scrolling. Just like it sounds obvious, but I think that could help with your mindset if you are doing that. But the other thing is like it's okay to be nervous. Just don't act on the ner- nerves. So like separate the feeling that you feel from the actions that you take and try to make decisions. Like make decide on your behaviors from from a place that is less emotional. Even though you feel you like you might feel the emotion, you might feel the fear. Right. But you act anyway. That's that's the definition of courage. Like you feel the fear. It's not that you don't. You're not scared. Yeah, you know, you're not like, stupid. You're not stupid, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But you still choose how you're going to act. Like is is if you're going to let. Yes. It's like deciding if you're going to let your forebrain or your rear brain, your lizard brain, control your actions. And to the extent that you can, I feel like in a modern world air quotes but like in a modern world there's no saber-toothed tiger about to jump out so the fear usually isn't as helpful as it maybe what once was so really acting out of a place of fear is is off it seems like i have no it just seems like from working with clients it just seems like it's usually a bad thing it's almost always a bad move so you know i'm a big fan of securing cash flow and keeping the lights on because if you do have, just as long as you have a baseline of income when you're trying to make like a pivot or, you know, uh, launch a new service or or try to, uh, for the first time ever, track a pipeline of direct leads, like you're first just starting to get your actual business underway. You've just been freelancing basically, and you're actually trying to turn it into a business with leverage. Um, it's very difficult to make good decisions if you're constantly afraid you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage or your car payment Mm -hmm. or your rent or your food. So having some baseline of income, even if it's hourly, heaven forfend, you know, through an agency or something that's just 20 hours a week completely changes uh, the, the level of fear again, you know, it's like this, this level of terror, it keeps the terror to a (laughs) low boil. And then you can actually, it's easier to make good decisions, investment type decisions and working on the business, working on the garden. It's, it's way harder uh, to control your actions when the fear is like at a 10 out of 10 because you just have no money coming in and no prospect of Mm -hmm. any money coming in. So Yeah. yeah, I mean, the whole thing boils down to cash flow, but just ask yourself this, right? Ask yourself, can you create value? The, no matter where the market is, the answer is going to be yes. Mm-hmm. right if you're an expert there's some way you can create value 
always. It doesn't matter if the market's up or down. So it's like if you can create value, then you just capture a fraction of the value and there's your income. So does it mean you need to get creative when when things go sideways, whatever the thing might be? Sure. But, you know, as business owners, I think that's like you should always be creative about all of these things we're talking about. The content marketing, the relationship building, new product development, all this stuff. It's the fun part. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think of it in terms of the business model is that if you've got a relatively mature business, and by that, I mean, you've proven the concept and you've had pretty consistent income for a while, you know, you you fall into a particular business model and nobody stays, almost nobody stays with their business model forever. And so, you know, thinking about that, at least on a regular basis, at least once a year for, I mean, forget, you know, what's happening in the economy, but thinking about that at least once a year is a great investment in making sure you're looking at your future, you're reading the tea leaves Mm -hmm. for your industry, for your client, for the economy, for the marketplace, and then making decisions that are not fear-based. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's some percentage of our listeners that are going, yeah, I got this. Duh, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to listen to this. <laughs> right. But so forgive us if we're stating the obvious, but yeah, it is easier to weather these things if you've been um strategic and and thoughtful about things. And it's also easy to have been strategic and thoughtful and get blindsided like many people were in 2020. Yeah. Sure. 2008. Yeah. 1992, you yep. name it. <laughs> 1976. What was 92? What was 92? I think it was 92. It might have been 93. There was a recession. It was like, uh, I think it was Clinton era. No jobs. There were no jobs. Uh, I had just graduated college and I was about to apply at a McDonald's. I had a college degree and I was about to apply to a McDonald's when I elbowed my way to the front of a line to get a warehouse job. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure which is better, the warehouse or the McDonald's, but the warehouse probably paid better. Probably. I, I don't even yeah. know. I don't even know. I was I was about to fill out the back of a placemat to apply for a job at McDonald's. But well, uh, I remember the the tech bubble imploding. That's what I remembered because I I was having a terrible time getting employees and and they would like I had some some that were fairly new out of college and I, I was using them as like administrative people and they're like I can make a ton of money if I move west I was in Chicago at the time so they'd go to Silicon Valley and you know if I could pay them I don't know 30,000 maybe they could make 75 mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley until the bubble burst right and then you know yeah and what was that 2000 yeah somewhere in there that was yeah. my that was my one corporate stretch was in, I was in, I was at uh, Staples Corporate when that happened, so it didn't felt didn't feel like it affected me in any way. Well, it's funny because that's when uh, I sold our firm, and we sold it just before the implosion. And what in nine eleven, of course, happened not mm. too long after that. And so um, it was interesting because when we sold, prices were very high for businesses and after that they were really low the multiples were low because they got burned Mm. you know they bought us at the highest point of the market and then oh well (laughs) historically that's been my pattern when buying houses which is not great but (laughs) yeah (laughs) i've done that too (laughs) oh man cool all right have we got anything else or we feel like we've been around the track enough times Mm, feels like we we circled it a couple times cool 
All right, folks. How do I end the show? Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.